Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is the podcast all about slow living in a fast world. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery and welcome to episode seven of season six. We are in our penultimate episode of the season, which I say every season because I love the word penultimate. When I was like young and just started working, I wrote the word penultimate and I assumed it was like the very ultimate. Like uber ultimate. Yeah, like the best ultimate. Not the second to ultimate. I was wrong. (laughs) I don't know if you remember, this is very random for an introduction, when we used to catch the train into work, into Sydney, and occasionally we would have a train announcer uh, as we were pulling into Central, who would say, uh, or maybe pulling into Redfern, Redford. and he'd say, those on the penultimate and final carriages will find that the... He loved he did. saying that. And that, that's where I think I, I, I think I heard that and said, I'm writing penultimate. Just, Still I, didn't understand it. Such a vivid memory of this man. And I like, I like thinking that he got joy from using that word every time he, he announced that arrival at Redfern. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, our penultimate guest for this season is none other than friend of the show and friend of the retreat. Absolutely. The Slow Living Retreat, Slow Beginnings, is none other than Kevin Jenks. Mr. Kevin Jenks from Centred Meditation. So I wanted to bring Kevin back because this season has been uh, all about practical, accessible shifts and tools and ideas that we can use at the moment in this very strange time that we're living in. Uh, And meditation is without doubt one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal, that everyone has at their disposal to navigate some of the anxieties and the worries and the uncertainties that we're living with. So, Are you meditating more now during this time than you were previous? No, I'm not. Hmm. I'm not. Is that what you discuss? I'm not either, but I'm not a huge meditator anyway. No, I'm probably, I'm not certainly not meditating more. Hmm. Some weeks I'm meditating at probably the same amount of time, maybe for slightly less time because, yeah. I mean, towards the beginning of this year, I was sort of getting up to 20, 25 minutes of meditation most mornings and that's not happening to that length at the moment. Uh, but I'm also doing a lot more... Uh, of what feels like like moving meditation or mm. um, active meditation. Mm. So I'm making a lot more, like I'm crocheting and oh, yeah. gardening. I and that is a, it is a form of meditation, isn't it? Not in the traditional sense, but mm. it, it offers our brains a very similar, um, from my reading anyway, very similar sort of Break. removal from yeah. operating in that stress, yeah. high concern, you know, decision-making mode and allowing it to slip into that more mindful mode where what I'm finding is that the the making and the gardening and the active meditation is very helpful for me in this creative period, writing. Um, don't know if I mentioned that I'm writing a book. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Every episode. Without fail. I know. Some what, people, are you gonna, what are you going to do when you finish writing this book? Garden and crochet. <laughs> What's your life look like? I don't know. I don't know. Um, no, to, so to answer your question, meditation is definitely still part of part of my 
rhythm, but I'm probably not meditating quite as much as I was. And do you talk about that during the podcast? Uh, not particularly, because no. what I really wanted to to dig into is what it what meditation offers, particularly at the moment in those periods where uncertainty is high and, you know, maybe we're operating from a place of fear rather than a place of mm. abundance or calm or peace. Uh, and also to talk directly to people who either feel like they don't have time to meditate at the moment uh, or people who used to and no longer do, you know, and, and how to have compassion and self-compassion particularly and, uh, you know, how to reframe maybe why we want to get back on that bandwagon. So to find out more about Kevin and his work at Centred Meditation, and for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast for a number of years, Kevin's been on the show a few times. I'm going to link to those episodes in the show notes because if you're at the very beginning of your meditation journey, he and I had a couple of really great conversations about the how and the why mm. of meditation that you could listen to and, and that would give you a really good basis on which to move forward. Uh, but I'm also going to link to his studio. So Kevin runs uh, and his partner Nikki run Centred Meditation, which is usually an in-person studio in Sydney uh, where you can drop in and meditate during the day. They also have an online studio. And at the moment, they are offering a free 14-day trial for their services. So if you are interested in, in seeing what they what they do and how they offer it and you know, what there is to gain from meditating with Kevin, head over to centeredmeditation.com.au and you'll find out all about the trial and, and what they do. Yeah, Kevin's meditation is very accessible. It, there's not a lot of woo. It's very non-spiritual. You know, like it's just if you're just dipping your toes in, especially, I've related really well to it from the early stages. So, yeah, it's just worth a, yeah. worth a look it's at. It's called um, effortless meditation. Oh, nice. Yeah. It, it, and it is, you know, mm. having meditated with Kevin before, it's, like you said, accessible. Yeah. So au is their website, or you can head over to the show notes at slowyourhome.com slash season six, and that's where you'll find links to uh, our previous chats and a few meditations, actually, that Kevin created for us as well. There's a, a separate playlist of those, so I'll link to that too. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Kevin. Kevin, hello. How are you? Hi, Brooke. I'm I'm pretty good, actually. Good. How are you? I'm good. Now, I wanted to bring you on for a multitude of reasons. A, I really enjoy talking to you and I like to kind of dig into meditation and, and living with awareness with you. But B, um, because this season of the podcast, I've really tried to bring a practicality and an accessibility to ways that people can move through their days when everything is so uncertain, you know. And I say that now because you know, we're both in, in New South Wales, in Australia, and we're starting to gradually shift out of some of these tighter lockdown restrictions. I've got people listening from all over the world who are in different situations. So everything feels uncertain, you know, and I think that's a, a really powerful time to start looking at meditation, but it's also a very challenging time for people to either begin meditating, to keep meditating, or to get back on that that bandwagon. So I guess the irony there is kind of thick, isn't it? Like we've got we may need it now more than ever, and we also may find it a little more of a struggle to engage with meditation. What are you finding people are are, are sort of saying? <laughs> 
It's really interesting because on one hand, there's a couple of different camps of people. There's some camps of people that are abundant in time right now because they're just sitting at home, they don't have much to do. Then the opposite extreme is they've got full houses, families, homeschooling kids, and don't have a a split second for anything, Mm -hmm. not even sleep. So it's definitely split between those. So obviously that first camp of people, uh, they're using it as an opportunity yet to start taking up these practices because whilst there might be nothing going on uh, physically in their lives, there's all the stuff still going on in their mind. Right. And then unfortunately, there it is a, a, a still a struggle for a lot of people to be taking up the practice in and amongst the, the chaos and turmoil, ironically, when this is needed the most. Mm, yeah. And you're right. I mean, I think both of those situations and everything in between on that spectrum offers its own set of challenges, you know. And I also believe from my experience that meditation offers so many powerful benefits and I think that one of the the things that probably people in both of those camps you just described may be experiencing is a complete loss of rhythm to our days. You know, every sort of structure that used to stand in in, in place has either shifted or, or disappeared momentarily. What would you say to someone who is looking to either reinstate their habit or their practice of meditation or to start a new one but is really struggling to find rhythmically a place for it to fit? Really good question. And if I had a one size answer that fit all, I probably wouldn't be in the meditation game. (laughs) (laughs) There we, because there's a massive role for for that. But what I would say is, is this typically, I mean, everyone's going to tell you the same thing. You need to kickstart it in your routine one way, shape or form or the other. And without getting into kind of like the hacks on starting a routine, what you're typically going to come up against is the self-judgment and uh, everything that comes with it in that like, oh, well, I know this is good for me and yet I can't even do it. It's like how many of us know that exercise is good for us, but don't do as much exercise as we want to do. And the first place that we often go with that is to that place of self-judgment. So one thing that I would definitely say to people is have a bit of self-compassion, hmm. uh, have a bit of compassion for yourself for what you're going through. These are unprecedented times. We're dealing with stuff that our generation hasn't dealt with and you need to cut yourself a bit of slack. Now, obviously, meditation is going to be hugely beneficial. But while you're stuck in that judgment cycle, you're not going to have space to then start a new routine. That's a really important point, actually, you know, and I think that if we could all roll around in that idea of self-compassion a little bit more, like now, yes, of course, but just in general, I feel like we might open up a whole, uh, a whole wealth of sort of energy that we're otherwise using to beat ourselves up with. So um, thank you for calling our attention to that. I think that's really important. And I guess tied to that is this idea of acceptance. For me, meditation has taught me so many things, but also the the sense, like that radical sense of accepting that what is, is. If we're feeling sort of a, a lack of control, like all, as I said, all of those major structures in our lives have been stripped away, either permanently or momentarily, we're finding it difficult to kind of conjure up acceptance for that. What does meditation offer us? And, you know, and is there a central sort of idea or anchor or vision or or tool that we can start to corral our energy around to, to bring some of that acceptance back? 
Wow, where do where do I even start with that? Because it's such a there are a lot of answers that I could give, which is a good thing because meditation offers so much. And it's more than just meditation. It's the whole exploration of our mind that kind of naturally comes as a, as a result of that. So I'll often talk about meditation and then I'll also, also talk about the mindset growth practices that are almost like uh, that come with a lot of these practices and certainly with our practices because, uh, and I know I'm kind of tangenting on a little bit at the moment, but the our our concept of meditation is like we're not just meditating for the sake of meditating, we're meditating to get results in our life. And often meditation is going to be a, a critical component of that, but that in itself isn't sufficient. We also need other practices and processes that do go along with transforming our mindset. So when I'm referring to it, I might I might kind of like interchangeably jump around around some of that. So in terms of what it offers us with regards to acceptance, I guess the first place is let's look at it from a physiological perspective. Often what gets in the way of us just accepting that what's happening right now is what's happening right now is our physiological reaction to that. And I'm talking about our fight or flight or stress response. Meditation offers us an ability to placate that, to calm that down so that we're not, when experiencing a a significant demand or pressure like many of us are experiencing during these COVID times, that the response that our body kicks off is not that stress response because when we're in that stress response, well, the amygdala has hijacked the brain. So there goes all the higher order thinking parts of our brain. Uh, They're not functioning that effectively. Our body is in fight or flight mode, which means that blood is rushing to all the major muscle groups. Energy is being diverted away from all the the medium to long-term survival systems, our reproductive system, our immune system, our digestive system, all into this immediate survival mode. And in that mode, all we can think about is the threat that's facing us. And there's no room really for being like, oh yeah, that's just what's happening now mm. in the moment because there's no rationality to that. We're we're in full fight or flight, survive, run, fight, that's kind of it or, or freeze and hope that the threat passes. So at that level, that's kind of like the first thing that meditation helps to offer us because at a physiological level, it de-excites our nervous system. It calms our nervous system. In fact, it actually shrinks the size of our amygdala. And that's been shown that was, I believe it was Harvard that first did the research on an eight-week meditation program, and they found that both the size and the uh, activity in the amygdala was actually reduced. I'm talking about the physical size of part of our brain shrinking, like changing from just meditation. I mean, this is, this is unheard of. Uh, in especially the old days, they thought the brain was you know very much like built as as is and doesn't change. So meditation offers that profound physiological de-excitation, which naturally then allows us to switch on the rational part of our brain and says, okay, great, this is what I, what's happening right now. I'm not experiencing this thing of like needing to run away or or fight. So what can I actually do with it? Which then raises my next point, which is that meditation can help us switch from this fear-based mindset to an opportunity-based mindset. When we look around and we see, you know what? Yes, things are like this. Things are happening just like this. And what's the opportunity here? What's the opportunity for growth or for development or for prosperity or, or for whatever it is? And when we're in that mindset, this idea of acceptance is kind of naturally just cultivated because obviously in order for their once the opportunity is presented for us in the future, it makes sense that we actually want to be experiencing what we're experiencing in this moment. So there's this uh, pull towards uh, intrinsic acceptance. So those are just a couple of the, the reasons I could talk all day about it, but I'll I'll let you get a few words in as well. <laughs> 
And that's really fascinating to me because that fight or flight mode that you explained um, is where the vast majority of people that I'm having these conversations with find themselves, you know, and even if meditation offered nothing more, and I know it does, but nothing more than allowing us to decompress from that for a bit, to, to experience a different mode of being for a bit every day. Uh, I think that that is a phenomenal, phenomenal experience that is there for anyone to take. Absolutely. You know, and I really do because I know myself, I have gone through periods uh, over the last few months of, of quite high stress where that fight or flight is running the show, you know, and loud noises really kind of overstimulate me. And if there's too much happening, I get very flustered and all of that kind of stuff. And it's a really challenging place to be and it's a challenging place to live like so if anyone's listening and they're really either up in the air about trying this or or starting this or really kind of not feeling like they have the the time or the capacity to do it I'd really recommend that you experiment with it just for a week even you know Uh, and I know in previous episodes Kevin you and I have spoken about what is sort of a good length of time to sit and meditate for. I don't want people to hear like 20 minutes or half an hour twice a day and feel like I can't do that right now. So let's not do it at all. Is two or three minutes of sitting and focusing on the breath going to offer some of those benefits? Two or three minutes is definitely going to do something and it's going to be significantly better than zero minutes. Uh, And that's the, the truth. And, and then there is that conversation to be had as to, well, what benefits are you looking to get? So for me, when I started meditation, it was all about reducing the anxiety that I was experiencing, this tightness, crushing sensations in the chest that I used to get and my chronic nightmares. And would they, now they went away after 20 minutes, twice a day, three weeks, every day for three weeks, they all went away. Now, would they have gone away if I was meditating for three minutes? Probably not. Or they would have got, they would have taken longer, a lot longer to kind of dissipate. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be the cost benefit. What you put in is what you're going to get out, except the return on the investment is going to be massive. Mm. So yeah, I, I hear what you're saying and I get that the daunting nature of, oh, I have to meditate for 40 minutes a day to get the real results. And that's not true at all. I'm just giving you my, my example. Uh, but just to know that there is a spectrum because I would love to say, yeah, three minutes of meditation is all you need. Uh, the... I think this, the, the tiniest study that I've seen in terms of um, amount of time was about 12 minutes of meditation, and that was shown to have effects uh, at, you know, I'm pretty sure it was only four or five days. Right. Now, whether you notice the effects or not is a different story, but yes, internally, they will, they will have the effect. So I know it doesn't give you a, a, a solid answer, and for those out there, I would say start with what you can manage and and really also give it a go. Just give it a go. You'd be very surprised. I was completely shocked when my first teacher told me, you just need to wake up 20 minutes earlier uh, after I said to her, you know, you don't know how important I am. I don't have time for 20 minutes of meditation. And she said, well, wake up earlier. Now, that was unfathomable to me. But nowadays, I sleep two hours less, wake up feeling far better than I ever have, and I'm more energized through the day. Don't drink any coffee. It's like, oh, wow. Waking up 20 minutes earlier had a good payoff. 
Right. And, you know, it's a very, it's a thoroughly modern sort of roadblock to throw up in our own way, isn't it? To say, I don't have time to do this. Well, you know, you've said this before and I've experienced it myself. I don't know that I don't not have time. (laughs) You know, I I, I think that, as you say, the benefits far outweigh the, um, you know, any of the the time investment that we, we put into it. And, to, to kind of question how soon can I see these benefits? How how little time do I need to give to it is just a very modern approach. But I know that that's where some people are starting from and I get it, you know, I, I get it. It's that scarcity mindset that you were talking about as well, one of I don't have enough time so I'm not going to give my time to this thing that potentially could open me up to experiencing time differently. And that's so okay. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing. Again, have some compassion for yourself. That's great. You say, you know what? I'm not going to do this. Okay, terrific. Commit to it. It's it's absolutely fine. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong. You'll you're you're going to survive. You're going to survive. It's. Uh, I just can't guarantee that you'll get the benefits. And note to yourself when you are having those seeming that seemingly contradicting conversation in your head, like I really need benefit of X, Y, and Z, I don't know, improved sleep, reduced anxiety, blah, blah, blah. And I also don't have time to commit to actually doing anything about it. Notice that that conversation will continue indefinitely until one of two things happen. The symptoms spontaneously disappear, uh, which doesn't often happen, or you make the time somehow. Mm. You find the time. You you actually do something. Or what happens? Uh, the third option, I guess, in our society is people find pills and all the rest of it and take the pill. But again, that they're they're not sustainable in uh, in most situations. Yeah. Start taking sleeping pills at my age, and when I started meditating in my mid twenties, there there was a one way street really. If I'd gone down that path. Mm. I, I think that's a really powerful point and one that we do need to recognize, you know, that that conversation, that tension will be ongoing unless one of those those two or three things happens. So one of the other things that happens, and I find that this happens whether people are engaging more in mindfulness or meditation or simply just slowing down and getting quiet, is that in that silence, we often find discomfort. You know, we find um, perhaps negative thoughts, we find regret, we find multitudes, just it could be anything and everything that we will use to kind of dogpile on ourselves. And that silence, that quiet, that reflection can sometimes become quite an upsetting, uncomfortable experience for people. I can imagine that there would be a lot of people experiencing that sort of discomfort now, even in their attempts to sit, to meditate, to breathe, to, to notice. How can we, I guess, acknowledge that that is going to happen and over time learn how to deny the desire to get busy again, to kind of block that out, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I do. And the answer comes into how we relate to our thoughts So there's a relationship that we have with our thoughts and sometimes we busy ourselves to not deal with the stuff that we actually need to deal with. 
so in our busy life, many of us are very happy going along and then all of a sudden something like COVID hits and we find all this uncertainty shoved in our face. For some of us, it's uncertainty with a plethora of time. For others, it's on the opposite extreme. It's uncertainty with zero time. And this flares up a whole heap of what people might consider like new anxieties, new worries, or this is something new. This is because of COVID. It's like, yeah, potentially, but almost certainly it's actually something that was already there that now in the situation has been brought to the front of mind. And the similar things happen when we start to meditate, even outside of COVID times, often the stuff that was already there suddenly comes up to the surface. And our thoughts, it's usually not the the physical discomfort of those it's usually what the what gets us is this the thought process and the this incessant kind of rehearse and replay loop that we get into that causes the suffering and meditation offers us a really great pathway for getting clear on something that is often overlooked and that something is this our thoughts are often have little to do with reality. What we, our thoughts tell us about reality and objective reality out there are often completely two disparate things. They're separate. And meditation actually gives us an experiential insight and we can learn, particularly in the effortless style of meditation, which I'm a massive advocate for, we learn to just allow the thoughts to do whatever they do. They say whatever they say, we thank them for their input and we continue in the process. So it's not so much about controlling our thoughts as it is about learning to to really, uh, going back to this acceptance, but it's a radical form of acceptance where we just allow the thoughts to just tell us whatever they tell us. And that carries through then outside of the meditation practice. So an example of that would be all my my life, I have these thoughts. I've got the imposter syndrome, what it's colloquially referred to, where any moment, even as I do an interview like this, I'm waiting to be discovered out as a fraud. Like you're going to find out that I actually don't know what I'm talking about and I'm just making all this stuff up. And that that chatter is always there to some degree. But over the years of, of meditating and doing all the other growth work around that, I've come to see these thoughts as just just a just a little cackling. It's like my inner Woody Allen. It just it's just <laughs> a running commentary that has no bearing on my life out there in the real world. And sometimes the thoughts are more front of mind than not, that mm. imposter syndrome. But most of the time now it's just very faint, just sits in the very back and it's almost laughable. So that's what meditation has gives us an opportunity to alter our relationship to our thoughts. So we don't need to try and control them at all because try and control your thoughts. It's like, I don't know, trying to put a, a meteor out with a garden hose. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great image. That's been my experience too with meditation is that I guess the creation of that buffer between recognizing a thought and choosing to not react or respond to it, you know, just recognizing it, just saying, okay, hello, thought, hello, inner mean girl, hello, whatever is piping up right now. I see you, but I'm over here just doing my thing right now. Thank you. You know, thank you for your input. Yeah. This is partly something that I learned through you and partly something that I learned through Amy Poehler in her book. Um, And it's just this kind of I visualize a wave to those thoughts. I visualize myself waving, saying hello, I acknowledge you, but I'm over here doing something else. And it's incredibly powerful. It really is. And 
light. You know, it, it, it doesn't think not everything needs to be this effort to wrangle and control and, um, you know, really dig into and understand every last thought because so many of those thoughts are not based in reality. They're, they're you know, they're stories, they're, they're other things. And of course, there are instances where they need, like, we, we need to dig into those. We need to do the work uh, to, to begin to understand the root of those stories. But perhaps during meditation is not that time. Yeah, well, and keep in mind as well that there are different styles and practices of meditation, some that are very contemplative in nature. My expertise lies in the effortless style of meditation where we're neither engaging with thoughts nor are we not engaging with thoughts. It's a it's an incredibly easy, effortless practice. And yet while we're neither engaging nor not engaging, thoughts are actually an integral part of this practice. Now this this session's not about how to meditate effortlessly, but suffice to say that thoughts do play a massive role in meditation, just not in the way that that most people would think. Right. Because I think a lot of us come to meditation, and I will actually link to our previous conversations, mine and yours, because we do dig into the how and the why a lot. Um, but a lot of people come to meditation with an un, with a with a belief that it is about not thinking. It's about trying to empty our minds entirely. Uh, and I've never had success in doing that. I don't know too many people who who have, uh, and that's what I find so comforting about the approach that you teach. Is thoughts are they're not they're not a bad thing. They're not a good thing. It's what our brains do, you know. And and to try and stop them from doing what they do is fraught. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And you also made another really good point, which is that. Not to say that we don't need our thoughts sometimes to analyze the past, to project into the future. These are all very valuable, legitimate uses of our thinking part of our mind. There's a difference and the key difference is that you are you are controlling that. Mm. And I mean, controls maybe not the best word, but essentially you're not being led around by your nose, uh, like the thoughts aren't kind of like dragging you by the nose around the around the garden. Uh, you're actually in control, and you're saying, "Okay, well now I'm going to deliberately apply my thinking mind to X problem, to mm. X brainstorming session, or whatever it might be." So yeah, thoughts are very important. I don't want I don't want a listener to go away thinking, "Oh yeah, we just don't need our thoughts, and we can just like laissez faire through life." No, not at all. Our thinking mind is a massive, massive part of why I can sit and speak to you recording this from hundreds of kilometers away. Yeah, exactly. But I think that I know for me, at least pre-meditation days, I was simply being led around by those thoughts, you know, and that was that was sort of the master to which I, I, I answered. So learning how to create that bit of buffer for those, those 20 minutes a day or whatever it may be, was, it became very, very quickly became very, very valuable. Yes. And something else I also wanted to touch on because you've mentioned, we've mentioned control quite a bit and this idea of control and uncertainty. And I'd also would love to just offer this, which is that during these times when uncertainty seems to be heightening, people blame a lot on the uncertainty. Oh, it's just the uncertainty. And there is an inherent uncertainty to life, firstly, and everyone would kind of intellectually get this because like, oh, yeah, of course. Yet it's like, well, wait a minute. Is it just the uncertainty is exacerbated? And I'd argue not exactly. It's uncertainty is driving the controlling nature of humanity in that we we want to control our environment. It's how we feel 
naturally kind of feel okay about what's going on. And so when we have a situation like this, and by the way, some of us make a very good job of spending our entire lives trying to control our environment, sometimes to uh, positive results and sometimes to very adverse negative results because we become completely reliant on having to control our external environment. And now when we have this COVID, which has brought up things that we cannot control for the average human being, has no control over it. So it's not so much the uncertainty, it's that it's the fear, the foreboding fear that we, or the fear that we won't be able to control our environment. And that's exactly what this is doing to so many people. And that's actually what's, what's driving it, not the uncertainty itself. Uncertainty we live with every single day. Right, exactly. You know, we pre-pandemic times, post-pandemic times, anytime, we didn't know what a day held for us. Nobody did. I mean, we could give our best guess based on what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before and what we had planned, but we don't, we don't know. And that side of it has not actually changed. It's just that perhaps the broader structures of the world have also shifted, but none of that was in our control in the first place. Yeah, exactly. We just lived in a world of illusion where right. we had an, there was an illusion that we had control over whatever would pop up throughout the day. Because for most part, we could, you know, fix this and fix that and say this to someone and don't say that to someone. And But in reality, it's never been the case. Yeah. It's always been an illusion, this idea of control. And so to look out there that, and then COVID hits and the first thing we do is we look out there and you see, and that is the result of that is all the panic buying at the supermarket. Yes. Like, give me some semblance of control. Let me allow, like, let me be in control of this thing that I can still do. And, you know, I know, I know what I'm bringing home and I know that I have 17 years worth of toilet paper and, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you said, you said a word that my ears pricked up at, which was the word fix, you know, how do I fix this? And I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of our efforts go into this idea of fixing when I know that for me personally, replacing the idea of fixing, at least in some situations with accepting, has been very freeing. <laughs> you know, do we need to fix all of these things or do we need to um, consider an acceptance of them, of some of them and an allowance of some of them? Uh, you know, and that's really just another way of talking about control, I guess. But uh, yeah, ex exactly what I was going to say, because it's an acceptance is, I guess, the opposite of, of control. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what's interesting about that is that we can accept where we're at, because again, I don't want anyone to be listening to this thinking acceptance means, oh, this is just my lot in life. And then we just lie down and kind of like take it. Right. No, not at all. Acceptance is this is the way it's, it's an experiential thing action that happens within us that's like, wow, this is what's happening in this very moment for no other reasons because it's happening in this very moment. And then we have this separate thing called, what are my commitments in the world? What are my commitments to myself, to the people around me? And how am I going to honor those commitments? And acceptance and actually taking action in line with our commitments are very, very powerful and mm. very closely aligned. So it's not about, whereas fixing or trying to change something comes from that place of control. And those two different mindsets 
is what's going to drive the the output basically and from that place of incessant control we will incessantly try and fix and change and manipulate and mold and there'll always be a sense of tension there because again we can only live under this illusion of control for so long whereas accepting this radical acceptance for how things are in this moment because that's the way things are in this moment by the way easier said than done sure yeah. <laughs> uh, from that place we can actually then step out into the world and we'll get far stronger results mm. from taking action in line with what we're committed to and all the great thinkers and all the great doers in our time have all come from that place it's a really a really important point that you make though that acceptance is not being passive you know it's they're very different at least in my understanding of of what you're saying we don't need to just accept and give up you know it's an acceptance that okay this is the situation and then you say right well what can i can what can i control which is typically our choices our reactions our responses our actions uh, what can i now do with that circle of control which is pretty much just yourself, uh, to move forward in this broader situation that I cannot control. Yes, exactly. And as you always say, do the experiment for yourself. And I I love that. You and I are so aligned on that. I guarantee you that you meditate regularly enough for for long enough, and by long enough I mean a couple of weeks, you will already start to experientially get what we're talking about. You'll, You'll start to find yourself accepting things and it might not look like in your mind it might not look like oh yeah i'm just accepting this the way it is it might look something like something happens to you and you respond completely differently and when you look at that you're like why did i respond in such a great way when i usually kind of like crumble or get angry or get all upset and you're like oh because i just got that that's what was happening in the moment and what was actually called for was me to do this and then i just did it yeah, and that's it. I mean, theoretically, we could talk about this for, you know, a year, but it's not until you experience that sensation of having responded differently uh, and then recognizing the reason for that being this ability to accept and to, you know, respond in a different way um, that you're like, oh, okay, right, that makes that makes enormous sense to me right now. <laughs> yeah, so that I, I think that the experimentation piece is is really what I would encourage people to take away from our conversation today. If you have never meditated before and are curious, use this as, you know, the the impetus to experiment. If you have previously meditated and have stopped for whatever reason, perhaps you can use this as the impetus to get back for a week or two of experimentation. If you're sitting in your two or three minute zone, use this as the impetus to perhaps experiment with with going up to 12 minutes, you know, for a couple of weeks and see how you go uh, and try and or keep... Or even 15. Even 15. <laughs> but why not 20? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that that keeping that curiosity um, and almost that sense of playfulness about, about it is a really nice, light way to dip your toe in or, or, you know, put your feet back in to meditation. Kevin, thank you so much. This was a really a really interesting conversation actually about where we find ourselves at the moment and what meditation may offer us in in i guess negotiating it differently yeah for sure no it's it's been really great and the final message that i want to leave you all with who are listening to this is meditation doesn't need to be difficult so please do me a favor if you've got a difficult practice 
it doesn't surprise me that three minutes will feel like a right. struggle. Uh, if you've got an easy, effortless practice that's getting you the results, you will f- savor and look forward and create time, and time will just appear, and you'll just be loving life inside of your meditation practice, and more importantly, outside of the meditation practice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's on the name is on the box. It's effortless. It's effortless yes. meditation. Yes, exactly. So check out the show notes uh, because I'm going to link to uh, a number of practices that you wrote for the podcast a couple of years ago, as well as our previous conversations, which I think paired with today will give a really wonderful sort of picture of what effortless meditation can be. Thank you, Kevin. You're very welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Brooke. Anytime. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.